Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the Backer Coaching Podcast. A quick announcement that the BAFCA virtual convention plan for this weekend of the 3rd to 5th of July has been postponed for reasons outside of BAFCA's control. Keep an eye on the usual channels to stay updated on when the convention will go live. Today we are joined by Coach Moorhead who coaches for the Philadelphia Eagles. So let's listen in to what Coach has to say. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Adam Lillis. I'm excited to be joined today by the wide receivers coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Coach Aaron Moorhead. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just uh, enjoying a little family time this morning and uh, excited to hang out for a little bit. Absolutely. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, the first question I always like to ask coaches is, a lot of people know you from the time that you played in the NFL, but for those listeners that might not know your background, why don't you give us a little um, introduction into how you got into football, your career, and how you progressed into coaching and ended up at the Eagles? Um, you know, I, I really think, Adam, you could laugh. We could probably do 45 minutes just on this. Um, <laughs> I've got a pretty unique story, I think, different than a lot of people um, just just from – a perspective of my, my dad played football. My dad played, um, played football in, in the NFL for 12 years. And, and so I grew up around the game and, and, um, you know, I, I always saw it as an opportunity for me to compete and have fun. And, and I never really took anything different from it than that. And, and I got into playing in high school and, and didn't end up getting a scholarship. I ended up walking on to university of Illinois uh, which is which was a couple hours from where I where I grew up uh, outside of Chicago, and um, ended up doing doing really well and and earned a scholarship there, and then uh, ended up ended up going undrafted, uh, which which again is almost like walking on again to the uh, Indianapolis Colts and and ended up making the team as a rookie and played five years and, and, and won a Super Bowl uh, in, in that five years and, and played obviously, uh, as everybody knows, with a, with a bunch of really good players, some Hall of Fame guys in there and, and, uh, and some guys that'll be in the Hall of Fame here shortly. And, and I can't, uh, you know, go, go on without acknowledging those guys helping me grow as a, as a, as a player, as a coach and things like that. So, uh, after, after about a year or two in the NFL, um, our director of player development asked me, Hey, we have an internship program every year that, that, that puts you with a local high school for coaching. And he thought I'd be good at it. So I, I, I really didn't give it much thought the first year. And the second year he asked me again and I said, yeah, sure. You know what? I'll, I'll give it a try. And I really fell in love with it. And so the off season, uh, starting in my second year all the way uh, till now, I've really been been coaching, which is fun. So I kind of got to do it both as a player and a coach at the same time uh, in, in kind of a on a side mentality just during the summer and in the spring. And then and then uh, after I got done playing, I went into it more of a full time capacity 
Uh, I, I coached with Pike High School in Indianapolis there for four years uh, in the off season, and then and then uh, kind of moved into more of a full time volunteer role after I was done playing and I, my house sold, I had to go back up to Chicago and, and I was living with my dad and we were hanging out and, and I was looking for some, for some jobs, you know, and, and, and I'm sitting on the couch and my dad goes, why don't you go up to your high school and ask if they'll let you coach? And I said, you know what? Like, that's probably the best thing you've said to me in a long time. And, and, and I just went up to my high school. I asked my coach if I could come to practice that day and hang out. And he said, of course. And, and from there, I've really not stopped. I went to the AFCA convention that year down in Nashville with, with some of the coaches from Indianapolis and, um, and, and ended up meeting some guys that I knew up there and talking to them and, and ended up getting a GA job at the University of New Mexico that following offseason. And with Mike Loxley, uh, who was at the University of Illinois, uh, after I left and, and just had a chance to visit with him when I'd come back in town. So uh, that was my first job. I ended up going up to Stanford after that. Uh, after a year in New Mexico, I got a, a quality control job at Stanford for three years. Uh, and that, that, that job really changed me. I met some great mentors there. Uh, obviously, um, anybody that's followed Stanford football over the last 15 years has known um, that, that that's been a great program up there. We had Andrew Luck was our quarterback, had a, had a ton of, of NFL players on those teams when I was there and went to three st uh, straight BCS games. And, and, and that really molded me. It turned me into a coach. It showed me how to learn more about football than just the receiver position. And so uh, that, was, that was great. And then I got my first full-time job at Virginia Tech and moved there to Texas A&M. And then from Texas A&M, when Coach Selman got let go, I, I moved on to Vanderbilt. And, uh, you know, so I've had different experiences along the way, different parts of the country. And, and I'm fortunate enough now uh, to, to have uh, gotten my first NFL job with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I've come a long way. I feel like there's a little bit of it that's come full circle, but um, just excited to start this journey as an NFL coach. And and hopefully a, a long journey that allows me to, to continue to do what I do and, and love being around the game and love coaching the receiver position. Fantastic. Um, one thing you said that I found really interesting was your time at Stanford. You grew from being, in air quotes, just a receivers coach to more a complete coach. Maybe you could just dive into that a bit more and uh, tell some of the listeners about what sort of lessons you were learning as a coach during that time. Well, I think that that as you as you go on, I think you got to continue to grow and understand why other people are doing different things and not just your position. I think I, I moved from a player being a player mentality into being a coach mentality at my time at Stanford. And uh, every every former player goes through that. You know, there's there's a time in, in your life that you that you gravitate more towards the players because you think like them you act like them your mentality is like them and eventually you have to change into a coach where yeah you can understand their perspective and 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 still agree with things they're doing and still understand those things they're doing but you have to be able to take that line and and move it into the coaching side and I think I did that at Stanford and I and I, I was able to you know just breaking down film when I was at New Mexico breaking down film when I was at Stanford, understanding more than just the coverages, understanding the fronts, understanding 
the protections and the, and the blitzes that are coming with uh, the defensive side of the ball and the protections from the offensive line and how we're trying to, to protect against teams' pressures and things like that, I think really um, allowed me to, to start to really understand the big picture and not just, okay, this is what the receiver's doing or this is what the, the, the quarterback's doing, starting to understand all of it and how, and how that, those things start to, start to all intertwine between 22 players. And, and, and so that was pretty cool for me. Absolutely. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned a number of universities there that you, you coached for. You were in the Mountain West, the Pac-12, the AAC, and the SEC. I mean, that's a lot of different kind of style of uh, divisions that you're playing in or conferences. Was there a different approach to your coaching in each way or were you quite consistent in um, how you approach your coaching regardless of where you were? Yeah, I would say, I mean, you're, you got to be consistent on your approach. I think you, you, you've got to be able to adapt to your situation, no doubt, and you've got to be able to adapt to the players that you have in your room and the players you have on your team and all those things. But, you know, your, your, your true colors as a coach are going to come out every day, and you can't act one way with a group of people and act another way with a different group of people and, and think that no one's going to notice. And, and I think that you've got to be true to yourself and what you believe in and, and how you coach and, and, and be able to adapt on the fly to your, to your beliefs that try to get your beliefs in line with, with, with other people's beliefs and make sure that, that it's consistent. And I think that's a big thing, just being consistent with guys and consistent with coaches. Um, and no one generally has problems. But there is a different style between the Pac-12 and the ACC and the SEC. And in, in the NFL, you've got to be able to adapt or else they're going to find someone else. So, uh, you know, the, the coaching coaching at Vanderbilt was different than coaching at Stanford. Coaching at Vanderbilt was different than coaching at A&M. Coaching at A&M was different than coaching at Virginia Tech. And we and you all have to understand that it's it's built on the philosophy of your head coach. It's built on the philosophy of the of the university that you work for. And, and obviously it's built on the philosophy of, of football in general uh, at the place you're at. So, um, you know, you just have to understand the, and, and, and realize, you know, who you are, where you are, and, and, and what your beliefs are, and be able to adapt that to your environment. And I think as long as you're honest with yourself and who you want to be and what your head coach or your university is allowing you to be, uh, I think really you have no problems. And I think the biggest issues we have in, in coaching – is guys that are fake and guys that just try to adapt to, to everyone in different situations. And, and guys don't gravitate towards those people because they can see through it. And I think just understanding being who you are is good enough and, and understanding that, that if that's not good enough for the people around you, then they need to adjust to you as a coach, not you adjusting to them as, 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 as players. Sure. Um, you've got, a range of experience uh, as a player and a coach at the college level or even at the uh, NFL level. Was there a favorite place that you love to play more than anywhere else outside of your obvious home stadium? Yeah, that's a loaded question. I think uh, there's a lot of really cool stadiums in, in, in college football and the NFL. I, I always I always, you know, thought there, there's a couple places in college that we went that I always thought was pretty cool. More traditional, you know, places I thought, you know, just some of the 
you know, going to Auburn and seeing the Eagle kind of fly down was pretty cool. Uh, going to Colorado and seeing the Buffalo kind of Ralphie running around the circle and, 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 and kind of doing the, 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 the deal there was pretty cool. Um, you know, Oregon was extremely loud. Fans were crazy. And, and so, you know, there's, there's different places that, 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 that kind of always sit in your head that, that had a little different um, experience than others. Playing in the Rose Bowl is really cool just because that's a game that as a person who grew up in the Midwest and Big Ten, that was a game that you always thought of, the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl. That was your, that was your goal uh, if you were in the Big Ten was to get to the Rose Bowl growing up. So that was pretty neat, you know. So I, I would say – you know, a combination of traditions and cool things like that that you get to see also amongst like, you know, some of those stadiums, the iconic stadiums that that you see, you know, the swamp in Florida, uh, you know, Death Valley down in down in down in LSU or, or playing in 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 Penn State, you know, and in, in in State College. I mean, there's just some cool iconic stadiums, the big house, things like that, that that I've been really fortunate to to be in and be able to play in or be able to coach in. So uh, definitely um, outside of our home stadiums, those are probably some of the some of the most fun ones. Absolutely. Um, we're going to start moving into sort of the coaching elements of coaching receivers and, and, and the like. Before we get into that, do you have a coaching philosophy defined that you sort of hang your hat on or is that something that's still in development as a relatively young coach? Well, no, I, I think, you know, you've got to have your own philosophy, you know, you, you really do. And, and, and as you look at, as you look at your philosophy, your philosophy has got to align with what, what you do. And I, and, and, you know, I've got a lot of different things, you know, kind of on my mind as far as how I coach and why I coach and things like that. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's how can you bring the best out of a young man or a man and bring them to their best of their abilities every day and doing that with consistency with showing them love and showing them that you care about them but at the same time demanding that demanding that they be great and not letting them sell themselves short and and I think that um that that that's that's it's all kind of comes back to being consistent of, of, of who you are what you believe and I believe in fundamentals uh, I believe in in character, and I believe in 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 guys that want to enjoy playing the game and enjoy making big plays. And I think that I kind of stick stick to that. And and I think that as, as a lot of guys will tell you, I don't ask much. I just want you to be. I want you to be detailed. I want you to be fundamentally sound. I want you to enjoy what you're doing. But at the same time. Um, you know, I, I, I want to hold you to that standard. And, and eventually I want you to hold yourself to that standard. And I think that's probably something that I've, that I've kind of grown into, at, uh, you know, along my lines of, of playing in college at University of Illinois for a head coach that, that, that kind of was more in the strict part of it, not as much fun, a little more structure, but, but that was into it. And getting into Indianapolis, where we had a really good time, we had fun. But Peyton Manning was was such a detail-oriented person that you understood the value of being on the details every play, not just when it when he needed you to or when you needed to. Every play it didn't matter what the play was. So, um, and then moving into the 
college world of coaching and having some fun with some different people and 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 I just I just kind of molded that philosophy on my personal beliefs but at the same time kind of my experiences through playing and, and coaching and and they've they've worked for me really well sure and I, I think you may have preempted my next question a bit but if you're going to a new program you've got a brand new receiver room you're the receivers coach for example um is are those the expectations that you're laying out to them from day one and then holding them accountable going forward yeah, I, I think, Adam, my, my big thing is this, man. Like, I, I didn't necessarily always do that. Um, and, I, and I was with uh, Pep Hamilton. So Pep, Pep has been um, in the NFL a really long time. And, and Pep was, uh, is, is currently the, the, the L.A. Chargers quarterback coach. And, and Pep was a great mentor for me, still is. Um, but the first day that I, I was able to work with Pep, um, he was, he was coaching the receivers when I was a G8 in New Mexico, and then he was coaching uh, quarterbacks receivers when I was, a, uh, when I was at uh, Stanford uh, for those three years. So Pep and I worked closely together, um, and, and he, his first meeting at New Mexico and his first meeting at Stanford really showed me how, you, how to set the tone in a room that I didn't think I necessarily did when I, when I first got to certain places and and I think that um you have to set the expectations high and you have to set the bar high and you have to show them that um you know at the end of the day your expectations are going to be your expectations and they better get up to where you're at and and you're going to set the tone of of what you're what you expect and what you what you're what what you're not going to tolerate and um, I've always, I've always kind of taken that philosophy from him and molded it into my own. But, but at the same time, I, I think that that working for him in that capacity when he was the offensive coordinator at Stanford, um, and 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 being being able to be be with him allowed me to kind of shift my brain into a different headspace and allowed me to really be ready to be a position coach and. And but those expectations at the beginning and setting the tone from day one is really important because he always said it's easier to take the it's easier to take to take your foot off the gas and and allow them some breathing room than it is to to be able to to give them a whole bunch of breathing room at the beginning and then try to put your foot on the gas and and they're they're not they're not feeling that so um, I, I think that that's kind of the best thing to do. Set the standard high. Don't let that standard wave. And then as you're getting into it, now you're able to kind of work with them more than trying to work with them right at the beginning and it doesn't work. And now you try to do what you want to do from the beginning and it's too late. So um, setting the expectation, setting your bar high at the beginning to me is super important. And then, and then kind of adjusting off that is, is probably – in my opinion, the the best way to to get what you want across and not be wavering in any different way. Sure. Um, with your receiver room, obviously you've got to teach them the scheme and things like that to to marry up with what the offensive coordinator wants from from the offense. But in terms of individual development as receivers, are there things that you specifically work on on a daily basis? And if so, what are they, and how would you work on them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you look you look up and 
your your players are 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 your livelihood, and and if they're not fundamentally sound, your livelihood's not going to last too long. And and I and and every level of football you get up to, the 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 more important that fundamentals are, and and because every player starts to become better at the higher levels, and the and the guys that are separators uh, on the next level are guys that are either completely freak shows that that are just better than everybody or they're guys that are super fundamentally sound that still have the athletic ability uh to be great players and and as you look at it um my my everyday things that I always like to do is stance and start for receivers I think kind of just making sure they're not wasting any movement 80 percent I kind of always said 80 percent on the front leg 20 percent on the back leg you want to have a lot of power pushing off of that front leg into your first step but not wasting movement, not 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 false stepping. Uh, I, I think it's very important to do, and and it gets guys loose. It gets guys moving around a little bit at the same time. And then and then I always want to do some sort of a cone drill, whether it's whether it's um, you know working on a certain route, the top of the route, uh, or or working on or working on a, a, a skill set movement into a break at the top to, to continue to work on that. But I always want to do some sort of a cone drill to, to just get the guys moving in and out of their breaks to get them feeling themselves moving in and out of their breaks. And then if you, and then if I have time, I'll, I, I'd always like to add either a release drill into it or some sort of a blocking one or the other into it. Uh, if you have a six minute period for individual uh, you can you can get that done maybe if you have four or five minutes maybe not if you have eight minutes you for sure can get three or four really good drills in and take your time and do them right but uh, I I I kind of I kind of like judging my individual based on what the guys need and and what we need to work on the most and and I and I was talking to another receiver coach yesterday about this you know, if the head coach has is, is, is been stressing something to you or the offensive coordinator has been stressing something to you that you need to do better uh, as a group, as a receiver group, well, then that's what you ought to be focusing on on your individual. So, yeah, we're hitting stance and start, get yourself loose, and then, hey, we're getting right into, um, you know, these, these couple drills to make sure that, that we're getting – our work done that that the head coach wants or the offensive coordinator wants to make sure that we're continuing to grow. So, um, you know, there's there's all kinds of different ways to do individual. I, I think that, um, you know, it, it depends how much time you have. If you have 10 minutes, you can get a lot done in 10 minutes. If you have four minutes, there's going to be some time before or after practice that you're going to have to work to to get some of those those drills uh, down. So, uh, but I, I really do like cone drills. I really am a, I'm a huge proponent of it. It was something that we did a lot of in Indianapolis when I was playing there. And, and it really makes you get in and out of breaks. It makes you, it makes you feel yourself uh, coming to a stop and really having to restart very quickly with explosion. And, and, and those drills have been very good to me over the years and have allowed uh, development of a lot of players, a lot of NFL players, and, and have allowed uh, my guys to, I think, excel uh, at the next level. Sure. And do you spend much time on blocking in your individual peers or is that dealt with elsewhere? How much importance do you place on receivers blocking? 
I, I think blocking is a really important part of the game. And I think as you're, as you're going into your offense, you have to understand what your offense is. is. is are you a running offense? Are you a spread offense? Uh, personnel? You know, what, what are you? And, and if you're going to be a 50-50 run pass offense, well, you better spend time blocking because those blocks on the perimeter are super important. And as you get out, get out there and the running backs get out there, those are the those are the blocks on the perimeter that spring touchdowns and spring 50-yard plays instead of 15-yard plays. And I think those plays in a football game can change can change the whole direction of a game. And so we work on it. Um, you probably you probably did a you know it depends if you're an RPO team and 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 you're going to handle some of those things with RPOs. There's not there's not going to be as much focus on blocking. From the running game perspective, it's probably going to be more of a blocking uh, from an RPO's perspective, whether it's bubbles or 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 uh, you know, kind of key routes on the outside guy, and then the inside guys blocking out uh, certain things like that. You're going to spend a little more time blocking that way. But I do think that blocking is important. I do think that you have to spend some time on it, uh, regardless of what your offense is. It's just a matter of how you do it and does does the blocking get shown on tape for what you're trying to do and, and make sure that you're not blocking one. Okay. We're just going to do this for blocking, but it really doesn't affect you that way because you're blocking, you're blocking uh, more RPOs, but you're kind of spending more time blocking run game or you spend time blocking for bubbles all the time, but you really only throw bubbles once a game. Well, that's kind of wasting time. So Blocking it according to your scheme is super important, in my opinion. Um, you know, obviously at the NFL level, we'll work on it, we'll do it, uh, and, and make sure that that we understand that blocking is important, and and we have to make sure that guys understand the scheme, understand where the ball's going, and 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 make sure that uh, it's covered. And it's probably not going to be as big of an everyday drill for us, but we got to at some point. You still have to get in there and mix it up and. And, and just show guys the importance of it and understand that we can't be as good of a team if we're not blocking on the perimeter. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to get some insight uh, about your time as a positional coach throughout the years. For, for some of the listeners who might be getting into coaching for the first time and they're, they're accept, uh, taking on positional coaching roles at whichever team, from your perspective, what were some of the expectations of you as a coach from your offensive coordinator on a weekly basis in terms of practice and preparing for the upcoming game that perhaps our coaches over here should take on board? Of course. I think the first, the first thing that all position coaches should understand, and you'd appreciate this being a coordinator and being a head coach, is try to keep the stuff in your room in your room and not have to bring it to the offensive coordinator, have to bring it to the head coach. There's a lot of other things that they have on their plate and, and you, you really want extreme circumstances of why things should be coming to the head coach uh, and, and the offensive coordinator to a point in the same breath because the offensive coordinator wants to worry about getting the game plan ready for the week wants to worry about, you know, setting up his practice and things like that. They're not trying to worry about some, some guy that, that, that's, that's, that's having problems here and there. That's your job as a position coach to handle that. And if it becomes out of your control or something that you need help on, that's when you go uh, to, to the coordinator, to the head coach. But I think that um, that's very important from a position coach standpoint. Um, secondly, 
um, you know, the way that the way that I've done it most places is is as a position coach, you still are assisting the offensive coordinator with game plan. And 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 that's as you get into it and you understand why things are going on, you can continue to be a help for the offensive coordinator, whether it's sharing your thoughts uh, on on, you know, the first and second down passing game or, or third down thoughts or red zone thoughts and 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 you know the coordinator again is going to play is going to run the plays that the coordinator thinks are good and and that was one thing that I kind of had to get used to as a young coach is check your ego at the door when it comes to presenting plays if they like it great if they don't like it great like be better the next week when you're presenting plays because there's times that you think a play is going to be really good and you've shown it on tape and the coordinator might say I don't want to do that and you can't uh, you know, get all in your feelings about it. Just, just try to understand why he doesn't want to, and and move on, and try to move forward the next week and bring in a, uh, you know, uh, maybe a better play, or or maybe that plays a better play the next week, and try to represent it uh, in a different way. And I think, you know, from a week to week standpoint, helping the offensive co- coordinator taking a little bit off of his plate in the passing game is something that a receiver coach or a position coach ought to do. Uh, an offensive line coach in the run game obviously uh, is is important, and 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 then you're going to have some some value in the special teams meetings. We're helping the special teams coach with your responsibilities. So, I think uh, each week there's a lot on your plate. I mean, I would say from the time I got in on Sunday after our Saturday game until Wednesday evening, I was pretty much working on something, whether it had to do with. Uh, offense or special teams or something with my position, uh, preparing for practice, et cetera. Uh, I, there wasn't a lot of downtime for, for me uh, from, from Sunday when I got in the office at 10 o'clock in the morning or, or 9.30 until about Wednesday at about 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. It was pretty much a grind. And, and then um, once I left the office on, on Wednesday, um, that's when that's when the week kind of started headed downhill and, and started getting ready for the game. So, uh, you know, that that's a little bit of perspective on it. Um, but I think it, it's more than just taking care of your position. It's more than just than just walking out there to practice. It's it's a having a daily routine that allows you to work the most efficiently uh, day in and day out for for what you want to get accomplished or what your head coach wants you to get accomplished or what your coordinator wants you to get accomplished and making sure that your players are, are prepared each week to go out and, and be the stars that they're supposed to be and go out there and, 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 and fight and claw and scratch to get a win. Like we're all trying to do. So um, that's, that's kind of a little perspective on, on, on kind of my thoughts on kind of daily weekly uh and, and you know a little bit of overall philosophy on that sure and and just as a an additional question on top of that what we i often see over here in the uk is that we have staffs we have positional coaches and everyone helps with practices and they plan for the game ahead then once we get onto the field for game day it's pretty much the head coaches and the coordinators leading the way and the positional coaches are often without responsibilities to do or or role to play other than just keeping their guys um, motivated. I'd love some insight on what kind of responsibilities you had as a positional coach 
on game day that helped the coordinator and the head coach? Yeah, I think um, I think first and foremost, it's 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 what you said: keeping your players motivated, keeping them excited, keeping them engaged uh, throughout the game. Also, um, you know, continuing to I, I always helped with personnel's getting, making sure the personnel's were getting on and off the field uh, quickly, and then and then making sure that the players understood what was going on. There was times I was a signaler. So I was signaling to, to players on the field. So I, so that, that created a whole different dynamic on game day. Um, also, um, you know, just, just kind of, you know, making sure if there was a rotation, guys were rotating in and out, guys knew who was supposed to be in, who what, you know, and, and kind of preparing for that before the game started. So that was always something that was important. And then, you know, as, as you get the trust of the coordinator, trust of the head coach, just making sure, um, you know, that you were prepared of, of the situation and what was going on. And, and if they asked you, hey, what do you like right here as far as a play calls, that you always have something in mind for that specific situation and that you're not just concentrating only on your players and you're not actually paying attention to the game or the defense or the things that are going on, that you're constantly still looking at the overall scheme of what's going on. Are the, are the, defense, are the defensive players – and are they are they doing the same thing that you saw on tape or are they doing something different? Well, if they're doing something different, we need to be ready to adjust and change some things maybe offensively that, that, that we thought they were going to do that they're not. So now we need to adjust and, and make sure that we're putting ourselves and our players in the best position to succeed. So, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into game day. I think game day is the best day of the week. It's so much fun. You get to you get to get out there and, and, and let the players compete. And and you're kind of playing that chess game with the other coaching staff and and, and allowing the guys to go out there and have fun and, and the coaches are having fun. And and obviously it's a lot more fun when you're winning, but um I think uh, from from a responsibility standpoint on game day, it's such a broad thing and 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 you know, the head coach has so many duties and just anything you can do to keep stuff off the head coach on game day, I think is, is, is important and make sure that anything that you're talking to the head coach about is relevant to what's going to happen within the next few minutes uh, or super big picture. That's really important. Uh, you know, to me, I was, I was always pretty, pretty good about trying to let the head coach do his work on game day and allowing uh, maybe maybe more of, of staying on our side of the ball until it came up that it was necessary to grab him and, and talk to him about something. Oh, that's fantastic. Thanks, Coach. Um, as we start wrapping it up, I'd love to talk about your time on the Colts uh, as a player. You won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 41, and some of the players that were on the offense at that time, Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, Dominic Rhodes, Jeff Saturday. What was it? about that offense that made it so effective and efficient um, from your perspective as a player on that offense? Well, I mean, I think you said some of it right there. I mean, it always is going to boil down to players. And uh, you're looking at, you're looking at, um, you know, Marvin Harrison, who's, who's in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, Peyton Manning will be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Reggie Wayne will end up in the Hall of Fame. You know, we had Edron James for, for my first three years, and, and, and he left. But Edron James is Hall of Fame. 
you know, Jeff Saturday is going to have a chance to be a Hall of Famer. Tarek Glenn was our starting left tackle, who was a really, really, really good player, uh, was a Pro Bowl player, who will have a chance to, to you know, to, to potentially look look in that in that, in that side of and can he be a Hall of Famer? You know, he'll probably be on the fringe. Um, but you look at you look at those guys. Um, and and they set the standard every day for everybody on the football team. And Coach Dungy uh, set the standard. Uh, Mr. Polian, our our general manager, set the standard every day. And it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't a day that it wasn't clear of what our mission was that day. And I think everybody understood that if it came from the top and it trickled down, that every man was responsible for his job. And if you weren't doing what you were supposed to do, then you weren't going to be there anymore. And I think we all took that workmanlike approach to each day, regardless if it was a guy who's in the hall of fame or a guy that was a role player. I think everybody took their job very seriously and we had a lot of really good players to boot. You're talking about legitimately, uh, you know, four or five Hall of Famers on the offensive side of the ball on that Super Bowl team. Uh, and, and you look back and, and we didn't have a lot of selfish guys. We had guys that just wanted to win. And, and of course, competitive. Of course, guys wanted the football. Of course, guys wanted to make plays, but not selfish. And selfish gets you beat. If it's about your stats, it's about your this, it's about your that, and not our, uh, that doesn't win Super Bowls. Super Bowls are won by guys playing selfless and understanding the bigger picture that that winning the game is more important than my stat line. And and some guys understand, too, that if my stat line's really good, generally we win the game. And, and so there's a fine balance between that stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I really do feel like we had a selfless football team that truly cared about each other, cared about our coaches, and cared about winning. And every day we stepped foot in practice, we practiced like it was a game. So as as I always thought about it, I always felt like the game was easier than practice. And and that that to me is the the championship caliber teams practice like it's a game and that was our standard every day so to me once we got playing in the games it wasn't that big of a change from practice if anything it was easier so I I, I do think all those things combined allowed us to be a very successful football team for the five years that I was on the team um, you know or the year before I, I was there was a playoff team and then you know two or two years after that uh, they went to the Super Bowl again after I was done. So, I mean, there was a really good eight-year stretch uh, there where the Colts were as good a team as anybody in football. And 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 I do really appreciate my time there being with those guys because, like I said earlier, it molded me into the coach I am today. Sure thing. And one final question before we let you go. Whether it's your time at Indianapolis as a player or whether it's as a coach on all the teams that you've coached for, as a receiver or receiver's coach, was there a particular passing play that whenever it was called in practice or a game, you just got really juiced up and excited about? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I, 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 you, I would say, like, for the week, you knew what play – was going to be the play that we could potentially score a, a big, long 75-yard touchdown or something like that as a coach, as a player. And 
you'd practice it all week. You'd practice it three or four times. You'd walk through it three or four times. You'd walk through it the day of the game. And when that play got called on game day, um, you always got excited. When you heard that play in the huddle or you heard that play come up on the headset, that always kind of, kind of, kind of gave me goosebumps, got the, got the hair on my arm up a little bit. And, and I think that, um, you know, whether it was a double move on the outside or in the slot, uh, you know, something like that, uh, just where you set the DBs up all game or, or for the last two games and now it's three game, third game and you're, you've, you've run this play, you've set it up, and now it, it works to perfection. Um, those are the ones that get you excited. And I know we, we can all sit there and go, there's nothing better than a, than a long run where the O-line's dominating somebody and the back hits the hole perfect. The receivers are on the perimeter blocking perfect. The back makes the one guy miss that he's responsible for and we score. Um, th- th- those, those plays get you so excited. But um, continuing to, to, to have a pass that can go 50 yards in the air, the guy catches on a fly, at home, the stadium's going crazy, uh, or on the road when it deflates the crowd. I mean, there's no better feeling for 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 a football team than than having an explosive play that scores a touchdown uh, that that you that you've worked on for a week or two or three or four, and it finally comes uh, to fruition. So, um, you know, I don't I don't know that it's a specific play, but I would say definitely a specific circumstance of something that you've prepared for. You knew what defense they were going to run. You got that defense. Everybody knows that all you've got to do is just run the routes correctly. Quarterback's got to make the right throw. Offensive line in the back has to pick the protection up, and and you're going to have a a huge play. I think that um, those ones always get me really excited. Brilliant. Thanks, Coach. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. I know you're very busy with, obviously, your new job in at the Eagles. Uh, before we let you go, um, do you have any social media handles or anything like that that you want to to share in case people want to follow you and uh, get in contact? Absolutely. My my, uh, I have Twitter, Instagram. It's both the same. A mo eight six eight five again. A M O eight six eight five. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so, uh, everybody calls me coach Amo. So I, that, that's kind of been, I've, I've adopted that. And, uh, and, and that, that's where you can find me on, on Twitter and IG. Brilliant. Thanks coach. Uh, stay safe and best of luck for, for the Eagles for 2020. Thanks Adam. Appreciate it, man. Thank you again to Coach Moorhead for sharing his knowledge with the BAFCA community. Tune in next time for another great BAFCA coaching podcast episode.